A very good morning to all of you. Welcome to Grace Baptist Church again. My name is Bobby, uh, one of the pastors I'm preaching today. Before we begin today's uh, study of the Word, let us go to God in prayer. Father, we come before you, we thank you for this great privilege to study your Word. We know, Lord, that uh, through studying your Word, we will know your ways, we will know your will for all of us. Father, we pray, therefore, that you help us as we study your Word. May our hearts be teachable. May our hearts be willing to learn. But most of all, may our hearts be humble so that your Holy Spirit will speak to all of us. And we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Acts chapter 1, verses 12 to 26. And you can follow along with me uh, with your bulletin. And you can take down some notes. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus had ascended into heaven after, after spending 40 days with the disciples, teaching them, teaching them about the kingdom. Jesus' last words was a promise that the Holy Spirit would descend upon the disciples. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Jesus says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. The disciples are to carry out the work of bringing the gospel to others. Jesus laid down the mission. Jesus also told them that the Holy Spirit will empower them for the work. But the disciples will have to wait. The disciples have to wait. God's work is always based on God's timing, not our timing. The disciples are to wait in Jerusalem, Acts chapter 1, verse 4. Waiting is one of the hardest things to do in life. Granted, in the early church, at the time of the uh, infant church, the people may not be as fast-paced as our modern society, but certainly the people back then are not spared the tyranny of the urgent. Who doesn't want fast, instant answers? In fact, sometimes we even try ways to prepare for situations in order that we will, not, we will not get caught in the blind when things go awry, we develop a plug-and-play mentality. Solution A for this problem, solution B for that problem. We have scenarios played out in our minds. Plan A alone is not enough. Have plan B and plan C on standby. Why? Because we cannot stand any impasse. We will try ways and means to speed things up if we can. They say there are three kinds of people. The first kind of people make things happen. The second kind of people see things happen before their eyes. The third kind of people, they ask what happened. Right now, should we lower down the light so that before people ask what happened? No, the first kind, this kind, make things happen, seems the most attractive, isn't it? 
What did the disciples do? While they went back to Jerusalem, the Bible reveals that they went through a series of steps. And what are these, what are these steps? This morning, I want to share with you three things that happened to the community of believers. Number one, how they responded to Jesus' command to wait for the arrival of the Holy Spirit. Number two, how they review scriptures as they wait for the Spirit's arrival. And number three, how they restored their apostolic structure according to scripture as they wait for the Holy Spirit. I mentioned just now that God alone will determine the exact time. His timing is always right. Not too early, not too late. Thank you. So number one, the first principle. The church responds to Jesus' command to wait for the Spirit's arrival, verses 12 to 14. Please, uh, let's take a look and, and read along with me. All right, verse 12 says, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. Eleven of them. All these were with one accord, devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. The first two points we want to note off, take note of in this uh, first principle is that the people gathered together to pray. Now, prayer wasn't a specialized ministry for the first Christians. It was their life. They joined together to pray constantly. In verse 14, and prayer was their devotion in, in chapter 2, verse 42. Now, the, the, the phrase devoted themselves to prayer in verse 14 paints a picture of prayer that is ongoing. Not one-off. It's ongoing. The believers are praying continually. This is how they respond, this is how they respond to Jesus' command. But more than that, the phrase used is in one mind or some of your version will say in one purpose or in one accord. That means they are united in Christ. The 120 believers were praying together. There was no separation of titles or functions. All the believers are equal in God's eyes. 1 Peter chapter 2 goes like this in verse 5. You yourself, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. All of us are. So there's no division in title, in rank. This was their first direct response to the Lord's command to wait for the promise of the Holy, of the Holy Spirit given by the Heavenly Father, Acts chapter 1 verse 4. Now to wait was to pray. To pray was to wait. Waiting is not passively allowing time to pass until the promise comes. Waiting is a vigorous, vigorous laying hold of what is promised, a living into the future. That is what prayer is. A verse in the Bible describes beautifully what prayer is like. Written by the psalmist in the summer ascent in Psalm 130. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. This is a picture of prayer. To pray is to do what the watchmen do as they wait for the morning. Their eyes fixed on the horizon, straining to see the sun. And how did the disciples pray? Here at the inception of the infant church, the disciples are recorded as faithfully united in prayer with fellow believers.
I pause because this is a question you ask yourself. I don't particularly like the person. All the persons. We have to be careful. You don't have to like the person, but you have to love the person. That's what the Bible says. If anyone says, I love God, he's his brother or sister, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has sinned, cannot love God, whom he has not sinned. And this commandment, not a request, we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. You don't like the person, it's fine. You have to love the person. Believers are united because we are the body of Christ. Ephesians 4 says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. The believers gather together, unified in prayer because they are one body. No rank, no title, no division. Now, a group of people can assemble together in a place and yet have different purpose or interests in their minds. This is quite understandable. All of us have different needs and focus in life. And so sometimes when we gather together, our minds start to drift and something else comes into our mind. But that's not what is happening with the believers. They responded to Jesus' command through unified prayer. Prayer cannot be our weakest link for this church. Why? For them, the task is is daunting. The task of witnessing is daunting. The religious authorities and the Roman authorities are against their master now. There's a difference. Religious authority means the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin. Roman authorities means the government. Both authorities are against their master, Lord Jesus Christ. Followers of Jesus are subjected to beatings, torture, and even death. Yet the believers did not consider their own well-being, their own self-interest. They focused on Christ and His great commission to be witnesses. They forgo their personal interests and concerns. No unity in Christ, no clarity. Now, the response of the early church is instructional. Their first step of obedience is to assemble as one body to pray. While they cannot make things happen, they did not make things happen, they did not sit idly by as well. So responding to unified prayer is the first and foundational step. But they did not stop there. The next thing they did was that they reviewed scriptures, which is the second principle for our learning. Let's look at verses 15 to 20. In those days, Peter, the apostles, stood up among the brothers. Now the company of persons was in all about 120 and said, Brothers, the scriptures had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, and Judas Iscariot, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he, means Judas, was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a few with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle of all his bowels, and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of, the, of Jerusalem so that the field was called in their own langu- language a keldama, that is, a field of blood. Verse 24, it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it and let another take his office. The church firstly responds to Jesus' command to wait. 
But they did not stop there. They reviewed scripture as they wait for the Spirit's arrival. Judah's judgment and Judah's replacement. Judah's judgment. Peter addresses the group about our problem. What is it? The apostolic structure is not right. The 12 are now 11 and need to be constituted correctly. The move to replace Judas is part of the judgment that Judas experiences. Peter reminds the believers that Judas was appointed as one of the 12, verse 17, right? He was allotted this ministry. The unrighteous enemies of God will be judged and Judas belongs to this category. Psalm 64, verses 24 to 25. The psalmist says, Pour out your indignation upon them and let your burning anger overtake them. May their camp be a desolation. Let no one dwell in their tents. You saw this in verse 20 of uh, today's text where Peter quoted it. And then he quoted uh, the Psalm 109. Peter says, Let another take his office. This is taken from the book of Psalm. When he is tried, let him come forth guilty. Let his prayer be counted as sin. May his days be few. May another take his office. The two Psalms are quoted by Peter. Talks about the unrighteous enemies of God who ultimately will be judged. And Peter addresses the people, telling them that Judas belongs to this category. Now, you need to take note here there's something we need to be very careful. Now, it is Judas' apostasy, that means his defection. It is his defection, not his death, that requires his replacement. We'll talk about that later. Because after the death of James, brother of John, in Acts chapter 12, no replacement is made. All right? No replacement is made. So for Judas' re- replacement, Peter reviews Scripture. Yes, you may argue that at that time, the, uh, Matthew and Luke was not written yet. But when I say Scripture, we mean Christ's word, the words of Christ. The disciples have first-hand oral uh, information, so to speak, directly from Christ. And according to Matthew chapter 19, verse 28, Jesus is the one who instituted the apostolic structure. Jesus said to the disciples, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on His glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And Luke chapter 28, 2 verse 28 says like this, You are those who have stayed with me in my trials, Jesus says, and I assign to you, as my Father assigned to me, a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. The church response, the church reviews Scripture. They do not sit idly by. Responding in unified prayer is the first and foundational step, following, followed by the impetus to look at what Scripture has, say, has to say about what is happening. It became clear to all that if the believers were to be obedient to Jesus' teaching, especially with regards to Jesus' setting of the apostolic structure, the next step, the next logical step for the believers is to restore the apostolic structure according to Scripture, which is the third principle in our study on how the believers faithfully obey Jesus' teaching while waiting for the arrival of the Holy Spirit. The last five verses of Acts chapter 1, verses 21 to 26. 
Let's look at it together. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and among and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of those men must become with us a witness to his means Jesus' resurrection. And they put forward two. Joseph called Barsabas, who was also called Justus, and Matthias. Verse 24, and they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry, an apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots, verse 26, for them, and the lots fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. The church not only respond, the church not only reviewed, the church restores the structure that was not right, the apostolic structure. And two things you want to take note of, the qualification and the process. The qualification is someone who is a witness from the time of John the Baptist to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That means the A to Z of Jesus' ministry. From the time when Jesus was to be baptized was by this uh, John at the River Jordan all the way to Jesus' resurrection. And the process, prayer, God, and casting lots. Now, the candidate must be, must be a man qualified as someone who has been with the apostles since the time of John the Baptist to the resur- resurrection of Jesus Christ. Right? That means what? The candidate must be a first-hand witness, not a third-party witness. He has to be a first-hand witness who has seen Jesus' ministry from the time when Jesus was being baptized by John the Baptist and the time of Jesus' resurrection. Now, there are 120 people down there, right, at the time. Only two fits the bill because the qualification is not about capacity. The qualification is not about capabilities. The qualification has to be someone who has actually witnessed the whole ministry of Jesus Christ. Now, regarding this qualification, I want to highlight two things for us to take note. Now, the extensive time frame from the time of John the Baptist to the time of Jesus' resurrection. This extensive time frame is important because it, this will be the scope of the message that the apostles will preach, isn't it? We cannot come in mid, midstream and then we take over from certain uh, portion of Jesus' life and preach Jesus' uh, uh, the gospel to everyone. So we can't. So this extensive time frame is important. The candidate must have seen Jesus as a living person after the crucifixion when Jesus was resurrected. Matthew chapter 3, it talks about this baptism of Jesus Christ by John the Baptist. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And so please take note, when you say the baptism of Jesus Christ, it's not, oh, I was there about 500 meters away, I saw him, yes. No. That witness had to be someone very close to what is happening. Out of 120, only two fits the bill. Secondly, I want to take note, I want you to take note is that this unique qualification is very unique, isn't it? You saw Jesus when he was uh, being baptized and you saw Jesus when he was resurrected. This is very unique. This unique qualification of this apostolic office shows its singular and foundational role. No one of succeeding generations would have this qualification. None of us have. Okay? 
regarding the process, so they cast lot, right? And then they, the lot fell on uh, Matthias and they decided to choose him. Now something precedes the casting of, lot, of, of the lots. In verse 24, prayer and God precedes the casting of the lots. In verse 24, the disciples, the, <clears throat> the believers were praying, you Lord, the one who knows the hearts of all, point out from you, point out whom you have selected from these two to take the place of, in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside. So it's not just merely casting of lots. Pray. And not only that, God knows the hearts of all. God is to reveal His rightful choice that the disciple is seeking. So when we look at casting of lots, some of us are, are very uncomfortable. Right? But this is uh, important for us to understand. At the same time, I, I thought that it's very important was for all of us to also know that uh, it was not mentioned at this juncture, but in subsequent times, in subsequent times in the book of Acts, the practice of drawing lots was not mentioned anymore. For example, Acts chapter 6, the selection of uh, deacons, and Acts chapter 13, the selection of Paul and Barnabas to be set aside for the first missionary journey. There's no more casting of lots, but it takes place with prayer. Uh, so just please do take note. The Bible tells us in uh, Proverbs chapter 16, verse 33, the decision actually belongs to God. Proverbs 16, verse 33 says like this, The Lord is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Today's study is not about what you can do or should do when God places you in a waiting mode. Make things happen. No. The infant church demonstrates two fundamental characteristics for us. Number one, the unity of the church. Seeking the Lord's will with one mind in prayers. Assembled and ready to obey their call to witness for Christ. Today's study is also about the adherence. Adherence to Scripture. Adherence means to stick to Scripture like glue. Adherence to Scripture is paramount in the church. Learning the Scriptures and applying it. Today's passage shows us the infant church, united in Christ, anchored in Scripture. There were three animals, a mouse, a chicken, and a cow. They lived in a farm, and they were good friends. One day, the farmer bought a mouse trap, a small little one, and put it inside the house. The mouse feared for his life and ran to tell his friends. He met the chicken and screamed, There's a mouse trap in the house. There's a mouse trap in the house. The chicken looked at, looked at the mouse and said, Don't worry. Just make sure you don't go near it. Go in peace, I'll pray for you. When the mouse was gone, the chicken said to himself, good thing I'm bigger. I'm bigger than the mouse. The trap is for him. It can do me no harm. The mouse ran along and he met the cow. There's a mouse trap in the house. There's a mouse trap in the house. The cow looked at the mouse and then he said, don't worry. Just make sure you avoid the mouse trap. Go in peace. I'll pray for you. When the mouse walked away with relief, the cow muttered with under his breath, look at my size. What can a tiny mouse trap do to me? One night, 
there was a loud scream in the house, which awoke all three animals. A snake was slithering in the kitchen and it still got caught in the mouse trap. The farmer's wife was about to get a glass of water from the kitchen and while she was walking, the snake bit her toe. It's a python, so non-poisonous. The wife became ill because of the trauma. And we all know that chicken soup can do wonders <laughs> to our health, right? The chicken was slaughtered and the family had double-boiled chicken for dinner. The wife recovered after three days. Chicken soup. The farmer was overjoyed and he threw a party, a celebration. Inviting his neighbours for a meal. How is he going to feed 20 to 30 guests? And then he heard the sound across the meadow. The guests had beef stew. What's the moral of the story? The point is this. When we are living in a community which affects some, what affects someone else will have an impact on us. We can say, go in peace, I pray for you. Totally oblivious and indifferent to what the other person is facing. We think it will not affect us. Sometimes it affects us in more ways than we know. Do we have a mouse, a chicken or a cow in churches today? The church is a community of believers in Christ. The Bible says that when one hurt, the other hurts too. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 25 to 26, it says like this, Let there be no division in the body, but that members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffers together. If one member is honoured, all rejoice together. A community in Christ is united in Christ. Being before doing, belonging before becoming. I talk about unity, then I talk about adherence to Scripture. You go to a restaurant, the waiter gives you a menu. You go to a fast food joint, you stare at the menu, the billboard behind the, the waitress. What do you do? You decide what to eat. You choose according to your liking, according to your preference, sometimes according to your budget. You decide what you want. Please don't treat the Bible like a menu. The Bible is not. You like something, you order it. You don't like something, you skip it. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, for the Word of God is living and active. The Word of God is living and active. Sharper, than any two-edged sword. Piercing to the division of soul and of spirit and of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. A community of Christ is united in Christ. A community of, a community of Christ or Christians is anchored in God's word. The word of God and the rule of God cannot be separated. In fact, the more Precise quotation is the word of God and the rule of God is one. Application. In applying what we learned today, let us consider very carefully. Number one, be Christ's community, united in Christ. Do we, do you, do all of us really care? And are we really concerned with one another's well-being? Hi, I have a problem. And then you answer, really? Go in peace, I'll pray for you. Secondly, be Christ's community rooted in Scripture. Stick to Scripture, adhere to Scripture. Don't just assume the anchor means loosely connected, but adhere to it. Do we base our decision on Scripture sometime or all the time? 
a community of believers in Christ must never deviate from the authority of the Word. The Scripture is not only the supreme authority for all matters of the church. The Bible is the only authority or the sole authority. Not just supreme, it's a sole authority. Any matter that pertains to the church must be examined and studied through the Word of God. We must never go for pragmatism. Pragmatism in church matters. Sometimes it is a very thin line that separates what is biblical from what is pragmatic. We've got to be careful. Let us pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word today. Help us remember what your word teaches us. The church is a redemptive window where people see Christ in us. Help us to know the importance of prayer as we respond to your leading. Remind us of our unity in Christ. And finally, teach us that the scripture will be our guide in all matters of the church. We want to be a community of Christ, Father. And therefore, we pray, Lord, that you help us to be this community that brings glory to your name and draws people to Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please rise. In response to this morning message, let us sing this song, Rejoice.